You are listening to the Maranatha Teachings Podcast, a ministry of Maranatha Church. Maranatha Church is a house church in coastal Virginia with members that span over four generations. Our Bible time together is both instructional and conversational. I'm the pastor and teacher, Nicholas Larum. Welcome to the dialogue. The title of this message tonight is The Proofs of Pentecost, as we're walking through Acts chapter 2 and the start of the church. But on the subtitle you see is part 1, The House. We're going to be talking about the house tonight. And as a quick review, again, we're, we're, we're encountering the power of Pentecost. We are a Pentecost people. So we looked at the promise of Pentecost, you know, Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. And we looked at the disciples' preparation for Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, verses, verse 12 through 2-1. So the next section is the proofs of Pentecost. And as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm following this pattern laid out by Keener and his um, exposition of the gift and the giver. And in the proofs of Pentecost, two major ones, there's more than just the two, right? There's the fire and then there's the tongues. But there's also the wind. <laughs> and there's how the tongues played out. Okay? Of all that has occurred to mankind since the fall, we've had three, I mean, we had a lot of events, but three major, major events. Messiah came. He gave his life, died, was resurrected, and ascended to heaven. And the Holy Spirit was poured out. The Holy Spirit's arrival is, as the third person of the Trinity, is analogous, not the same, but analogous to the Son of God's incarnation and joining humankind. The Holy Spirit came not just to be among us, but to dwell in us. And it is monumental. To call it a game changer would be to minimize the astronomical magnitude of it. Amen. Amen. So, in the proofs of Pentecost, we need to talk about the place of Pentecost. We know the town. Where did it happen? The original outpouring. Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. It happened in Jerusalem. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Can you imagine? <laughs> and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the first question of the evening is, well, where are they? I think they were in the temple. You think they were in the temple? I think they were in the same upper room where they broke bread with Jesus 53 days earlier or something. So like the that. other option on the table is the upper room where they had where they had the Pente- the, the uh, Passover meal with Jesus before the crucifixion. Well, that'd be a big room. Wasn't there more than 100 gathered? 120? Uh-huh. 120 thereabout? So, it's a good question. They're all together in one place. I mean, where are they? We're specific enough to know that Jesus said for them to remain where? 
Remember in Jerusalem? Until they were clothed with power from on high. Because he was saying the promise of the Father to them. So, I mean... Visually, for like us, maybe you could imagine a VFW hall. A VFW hall? Yeah. yeah. You know, like a, like a big meeting room. I have another question now. <laughs> because we're asking, where are they? But the other question is, who are they? Who is the they gathered in one place? That the Holy Spirit came down in tongues like a fire, split. It says, they were all filled. Well, who was the they? Is it the disciples? Yes. <laughs> Acts chapter 1 verse 13. And when they had entered, come back into Jerusalem from the ascension, the Mount of Olives, when they had entered Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Now, where they were staying, probably not the same place where they had the meal. But who was staying? Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. You have these guys, you have the eleven, and the eleven were staying where? In the upper room. In the upper room. So the eleven are are in the upper room. Or they or they were staying in a place and had an upper room. Verse 14. All these, all these, the, the, the nearest antecedent to that is the eleven of the previous verse. With one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So these, these people were praying together. Now his brothers, we know he had four brothers. Are all four of them there? We don't know. Mary's there. The eleven are there. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. It says in the ESV. The, the Greek... There is, is translated disciples in most places and in most translations. The company of persons was in all about 120. So the company of disciples hanging out in Jerusalem in this time period after the ascension was close to 120. Now just as a side note, one of the things that the Lord will do through the Holy Spirit is he will, he will employ symbolic numbers to get a message across, a theological message across, without there having to be that exact number of people or days transpiring. And so he does this by listing the number, 120, and then throwing in the about. About, yeah. You know, he gets it all in there, gets the message in there. And so Peter says... That's, that's in the disciples. So the other option is, is it the apostles? Is it the apostles? Verse 24 of Acts 1. And they prayed and said, remember, Peter stands up and says, someone's got to take Judas's place. And so they pray and they say, you Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. 
Okay? So, they cast lots. This is Mattathias and, and uh, Barsabbas. Uh, Bar and Mattathias gets chosen. Verse 26. They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Mattathias, and he was numbered with the eleven. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay? So, the nearest antecedent to that they is the twelve. But it could be the 120. Verse 12. See if I didn't get out of order here. Verse 12 of chapter 2. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They're filled with new wine. Okay, so the, the Spirit comes. They're all speaking in tongues. They heard them here in their own languages. They all came together. What does this mean? Others said, They're filled with new wine. So Peter's standing with the eleven. So how many do we have? 12, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, all this behind this, these people is a male pronoun in the Greek. These. So, is it Peter standing up with the eleven and saying, hey, these aren't drunk. Or is it Peter and the eleven standing up, and Peter saying, these people are not drunk. What is it? You know, that's the question. Is it the disciples? Is it the apostles? Does it matter? That's a question. Does it matter? Theologically, in the meta-narrative of God's messaging. Now, it matters for in, in terms of, if you want to be, like in the modern sense of the word, historically accurate. If you were going to get published as a historian today, you would maybe want 13 witnesses with a picture and tongues on, and then count how many people had the tongues on. And, and, if, you, and if you said it was 24, and there were actually two people there, you can't, you can't anchor the nightly news anymore because you're a liar. Depends on right? the denomination. You know? Depends on the denomination. So, it matters. It could matter for historical accuracy, but let me ask you, church. If the case was 120 on the day of Pentecost initially got filled with the Holy Spirit, or the 12 on the day of Pentecost initially got filled with the Holy Spirit, does that change the theological message at all? No. Only to this extent. If the twelve were the only ones that received that, then it gives more credence to the idea that it was cut off at some later date. And so there's a valid point. So if we say that it was only an, an apostolic gifting, that only the twelve received the Holy Spirit, then, only, then you can grandstand on some theological cessationist stance and say only the apostles had authority to lay hands on and give the Holy Spirit. And, and then once they all died, you know, all those signs went away and all we're left with is reason in the canon. Okay? And the other, later on when... Like they're gathered at Cornelius' house and the Holy Spirit falls yeah, down. Yeah, the problem is so, that there's a lot of Holy Spirit falling down. So, yeah. really, in that sense, it doesn't matter whether it was initially 12 or more. Eventually, other people said Right. So that's my point is, look, I, I, you know, I, I've seen 
uh, internal arguments on this. And I, I you know, I, I was part of a Bible teaching ministry that that like made this an axe to grind, a bone to grind. They think this, but we know this, and so this is the only valid truth, the right cutting of my brother in Christ. A case can be made for both, and that's why, because the text itself is ambiguous as to whether it was the 120 or the 12, that's why good scholars on, on both sides, you know, make, make a case for either side. Okay? It, that, but, so in terms of who was filled initially, I don't think it, you know, it can enhance some theological messaging, some consistency, you know, but doesn't carry that much theological freight. Is that? But the where? Now the where? <laughs> where are they? That. That might carry a little more significance. So, it says that the wind filled the entire house they were sitting. Well, the wind itself, wind, spirit. Those words are all related. The other place, this particular word that Luke employs later in Acts is referring to the breath of life. So you have this connection to this matrix of ideas of God breathing into Adam the breath of life and him becoming a living soul. Does house have a double meaning in the verse? Does house have a double meaning? And see, here's the thing. The the word is, is oikos, you know, Luke himself uses that word, let's just say over 50 times, you know, in, in Luke and Acts. And it means, it's got a very specific meaning in Greek, okay? You ready for this? It means a house. And, 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 and at times, by extension, it can mean like a, a household, okay? A physical body of the house. Well, that's a nice thought. That wind filled the entire house. And so, even if we start talking about the proofs of Pentecost, which is what we're talking about, that wind, that breath of life, and then that wind, remember Ezekiel 37 we studied last week? You know, Son of Man, can these bones live? Prophesied to the wind. And then the wind came, and they all stood up, an army. And, And so, these ideas, if you have a people of God who were waiting for the end times and now their Messiah came and they walked with Him, ate with Him, studied with Him, saw Him crucified, saw Him in His resurrected body. And as a resurrected man hung out for 40 days, watched Him ascend into heaven. Okay? The world is, is on the cusp of being set right. All these things that are wrong with the planet. Messiah is here. The Spirit is coming. We've talked about this. All the promises of the Spirit in the Old Testament, they, they kind of hook in. It just one flows right into the other from the Spirit coming and then the end time judgment coming. I've lived with kids before. It's okay. And uh, this is my grandkids, so it's, you know, okay. So, look, all that is connected with 
what we still hold on to in terms of end times, of the judgment of God coming. And, and those who are, are unjust and wicked getting their due, and those who are loyal to God and believing loyalty, being rewarded, and things being set right. All those things are connected. So, these believers are sitting there, and this wind comes, and they've been told the Spirit's going to come. These, all of this is, is on the table. Are you following me? All this is connected. But it fills the entire house where they were sitting. The traditional view has been that this occurred in the upper room. That the upper room was the place where the initial outpouring happened. And so the question is, how does a multitude hear the distinct speech of people sequestered in a room? Because the party didn't stay there, it just started there. So, let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So narratively, there is no transition of place. Narratively, Luke telling the story, the house is filled with wind, the tongues of fire split out. They begin speaking in tongues. The multitude hears it comes together. And they're hearing these Galileans speaking in their own languages. Later on, Lord willing, when we talk about the preaching of Pentecost, at the end of which, we won't call it an altar call because that's kind of late in, in, in Christian tradition, right? I mean, it's... We're all familiar with altar calls, but that didn't show up until like the past century. Yeah, yeah, Acts 2.41 <laughs> So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, I understand that there were signs that happened, but if we use any kind of... It, it, as a rule of... You know, some sort of a wind check. Pardon the pun of how large of a crowd you would need for an impromptu preacher to see 3,000 conversions. We're talking about a large group of people. Yeah. That's a large group of people. So, the filled house. What are we talking about? Uh, the NIV Study Bible, their note has whole house. And they say, may refer to the temple. And then they, they, they have you look at Acts 7.47. In the IVP Bible Background Commentary of the New Testament, written by Craig S. Keener, he has this note at the start of his section on Acts 2.5-13. Quote, The most sensible setting for the encounter Luke describes here is the temple courts. If, if the disciples are still meeting in the upper room of 1.13, this point is debated, <laughs> they would be near the temple. And he goes on to say, because the only place that would even have a room that could accommodate something like that was near or at the temple courts. 
So what makes sense is, is that this house isn't, isn't the sleeping room or, or the, the, the boarding room that the apostles are staying at. Okay? What makes sense is the house. Now, like I said, over 50 times, it's like 68 or 58, I can't remember, that Luke uses the term a whole bunch of times. He uses it for a household or someone's house. But there are several key places where he uses it where it has this other meaning as well. And many of them are coming right out of the mouth of Jesus. Luke 6, 4. Um, remember Jesus was asking him, have you not read when David went into the house of God and ate bread that wasn't lawful for him to eat? And that house of God, of course, was the tabernacle. That's Luke 6, 4. Luke 11, uh, 51, uh, Jesus is talking about the blood of all the prophets for Zacharias who perished between the altar and the temple. King James says, that's how the translators, they translated the temple. The Greek word behind it is oikos. Is oikos. It's house. It just says he was killed between the altar and the house. It's a common reference for the temple, the house of God. Luke 19.46, Jesus says, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves, right? And then that reference that the NIV gave, Acts 7.47, but it was Solomon who built the house for him. Now this is Stephen, remember? Stephen who was brought forth before the Sanhedrin and had particular accusations against him. And he goes through this long history of Israel's choosing God picking Abraham and coming all the way through and how Moses built the tabernacle, but then Solomon built a house for him. What was, this, what was the house that Solomon built? The temple. The temple was the house. Later on, right before they got really upset with him and picked up stones and killed him, Stephen said this, Acts 7, verse 48. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Now, think about the theological messaging. When the Holy Spirit shows up. When God encountered Moses the first time, or Moses encountered God the first time, what was the scene? The burning bush. There was fire. When God made covenant with Abraham the first time, and He had him cut the animals, and He... And he put him to sleep, but then God walked between the animals. How did he show up? It was a, a smoking pot and fire, right? When Israel came out of Egypt, what did they follow? A pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. When they built the tabernacle and it was all set, what happened? The place was filled with the glory of God. When Solomon built him a house, 
what happened. The glory of God filled the house. A tabernacle made by what kind of hands was filled with the glory of God? Human hands built the tabernacle of Moses. A temple made with what kind of hands? Human hands. The glory of God filled the temple. Remember when Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman, He says the day's coming where we're not going to worry about whether you worship on, on this mountain or in Jerusalem because God seeks those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. The most confrontational message to mankind is that God chooses to make you His sacred place. To make you His habitation. Not some chapel you build. Not some arbor you grow. Not some cathedral you mount. No place made by human hands that you consecrate, make sacrifice for, to make sacred for His appearance will do. And so, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, these men, and potentially the women and the other disciples, who were dedicated to prayer, waiting for the promise of the Father to come, for the Spirit to come, He arrived when the day of Pentecost was fully come, filled the temple with His wind, split out in glory like tongues of fire, on these people and inhabited them. And when you follow this testimony, which Lord willing will do, of you being the temple of God, it is a confrontational message to fallen human beings. And it's a threat to fallen angels who want you to build them temples so that you can worship their idols. And so God comes down and inhabits His people. And Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, confronting the leaders of his day, reminds them of the Word that the Most High doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Since Pentecost, where does He dwell? In the house of God the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you, sir. Amen. That's part one. Okay, take a break. We'll do part two and three here real quick. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding, though. Everything's good. Everything's good.